0: breath. We breathe the mercies that are new with every morning. We just thank you so much for all that you have done, Lord, the things that you continue to do, Lord, and we just look forward to things that you are going to do, Lord. Thank you for the cross, Lord, most of all, and for Jesus for dying and rising and giving us a reason to sing, Lord. We just bless you. We lift your name up this morning, Lord. ask that your spirit would be upon Pastor Casey as he brings the word our hearts will be ready to receive your truth this morning. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning, family church. Good morning. I have a, um, an email that I would like to share with all of us before we begin. We get a lot of emails and cards coming in from family members and from um, just needs that were met throughout the week, praising God. And this was an email. And um, we were just talking about it as a staff that we want to start sharing a lot of these things with you. We get them in every week. And so as we move forward and even on this upcoming Wednesday evening service, we're just going to begin to share with you a lot of the things that the family, you as a family, are are going through. This was an email that we received, and it's from a young nurse. And it says, Hello, I'm a young nurse that lives in Naples but work at a hospital in Fort Myers. As I am establishing my career, I am required to work most Sundays from 7 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., I've not been able to find a Saturday night service, but I just wanted to thank you for all of the incredible Sunday morning church services that your church broadcasts on WayFM. It is such a blessing to be able to hear the word of our Lord with other early rising believers when I'm on my way to a relatively Jesus-void work environment. Even though I would much rather be able to be at church and worship with my family, I am so thankful that the Lord has given me these countless opportunities to have alone time with Him. And your church has been an integral part of that. So I just want to say thank you. She goes on to say that she will be tithing a degree of her paycheck to the church every two weeks. And the other portion of her tithe goes to a cousin who is a missionary. She ends and says, thanks again for allowing the Lord to shine through you and your church and that you are pouring into the lives of believers. My prayers are with you for blessings, encouragement, and strength in a difficult world with Jesus' love. Such an incredible email that this young woman who is, has to work on Sundays, she wakes up and we're broadcast every Sunday at 6 a.m. And we've gotten a lot of emails and phone calls of people who wake up that early just to listen. And she's one of them. And so even this morning at 6 a.m. next week, our sermon, she's going to be hearing. And so I wanted to take a moment and tell her thank you over the radio waves, and and that our church, um, we are so blessed that we can be a blessing, but thank you also for supporting our church, and we just want to say thank you from our church body to you, and for all those who are listening on the radio and on your way to work this morning, I thought it would be just a blessing if our church took this moment as we are about to dig into God's word that we pray for this young woman on her way to church or on her way to to work at 6 a.m. to a place where Jesus is not there. And so let's, let's go ahead and pray and for all those who may be traveling to work as well. God, we do praise you. God, I thank you for this testimony and this blessing of this young woman who right now is on her way to work. God, I just pray that you may be with her. God, that you may strengthen her, that she may be a testimony for you in her workplace. God, I pray for all the people who are traveling right now to work environments and who are listening on the radio waves, but God, we also just, we pray for this morning, we pray for the delivery of your word. God, may it benefit our hearts that we may glorify and bless you more. God, we love you, we praise you, we will continue to praise you, because you are all that is good in this world, and it is a blessing to be able to call you father and friend. God, we pray for this morning, may you use me and the words that are spoken to bring glory in our lives that glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. Well, as we jump in, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, encourage you every Sunday morning, encourage you to bring a word of God, write in it, take notes in it. Um, It can be an iPad, it can be your phone, but always bring a word of God. And so as we begin, I'm going to be beginning in a verse that we normally don't hear pastors and preachers begin with a word like this word many times. (laughs) And I just want to warn you in advance, it's not what it seems, but we're going to be beginning in verse 8, and Paul begins and says, finally, finally, but he's not finished, and I'm not (laughs) finished yet. My finally is going to conclude much further down from now. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things. So Paul is coming after four chapters. He's saying, finally, and he's bringing about a climax, a conclusion to all the four chapters in Philippians to this church. And so we're going to be looking at two verses this morning that are going to wrap up everything we've learned in Philippians, and they're essential, essential verses. So we just read the first one. The first thing I want us to see from the word of God this morning is that we have been commanded to think. We as Christians are called to think. And this word thinking is not just having a thought in our mind. It's actually that we have been commanded to think on something and to put effort in it. It's not just entertaining thoughts. It means to evaluate and calculate something. We as Christians... I believe, should be the most intellectual, logical, and intelligent people. Why? We have the only source of truth. I mean, if we have a relationship with our creator who fundamentally knows everything, we should be able to stand on the foundation of the word of God and actually understand and be able to have conversations with people. And I feel like many times we've intellectually given up in many areas, but we are commanded to think. But Paul doesn't just say think. He says we're commanded to think about the right things. So Christians are commanded to think about the right things. And so Paul is about to give us a list. How many of you are type A personalities? You just got excited about a list, right? You see some people and they're like, "Oh yes, it's a list. And then they start getting their pen and pencil ready. Um, So he's going to give us a list of eight things that we need to think on. Eight things that we can think on. This person's also going to go home and try to checklist these things off throughout their week. Um, Or they write, make a checklist, and then they check that off. Because that feels good when you check that off. So before we get into this list, I want us to understand why this list is important. Because we might think we already have this accomplished. We might think we already know these eight things. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 20, it says this, he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Paul's right there. So what is it that naturally is going to come out of us? Evil thoughts, right? So good thinking is not natural to us. Paul is calling us actually to think about things that are unnatural. So, we need to clearly understand that this list is needed for us because our natural tendency is evil thoughts. If we look at verse 23, it says, All these evil things come from within a person and they defile a person. So, Paul knew that our thinking was essential. In our Christian life, this is the battleground our minds and our hearts. It's the battleground, if you're a parent in your children, it's their minds and their hearts. And that's why the Bible talks about driving rebelliousness away. It's in the minds and the hearts that's the battle. And out of that flows our actions. And Paul knew this. So out of a heart comes evil thoughts. So we're going to look at some good thoughts now, beginning in verse 8. This is what it says, starting with the first one. Whatever is true. Whatever is true. There are many things in this world that are deceptive. They promise So many things, and then if you've ever gone after those things, you you understand that they were fake. They were an illusion. Many times sin promises great things, and when you get to the end of that sin, you're left feeling empty. They weren't truth. They were false. And they were lies from Satan, lies from our flesh. And our culture needs this, because our culture is no longer asking what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, what is false? They're asking other questions, emotional-based questions, pragmatism questions, and they're asking, well, does it work? They're asking, how will it make me feel? Is it going to feel good? They're not asking, is it truth? And so many churches are doing this, where they're, they're not saying what is biblical, but what is going to get the results that we think the Bible wants us to get? And then they do things differently to try to get those results, So people are no longer asking what is true. This is why we here at the family church are huge advocates and we must remain biblically on all issues, not about if it works or how it makes us feel, but what does biblical truth look like in every area of our life. So what is truth is a question we can ask. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he said, your word is truth. David wrote, the judgments of the Lord are true. All your commandments are truth. We know that this is true because the God of truth wrote it. And in him there is no deception. There is no falsehood. He is true. So all the commandments and all the things of the word of God are true. This is why we encourage you to bring your Bible. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. And meditate on your Bible. When we're called to think on these things, we're called to actively think through everything in our life through a biblical filter. And if it doesn't pass the biblical filter or passes through it, we can continue thinking on those things. If it doesn't, it should be out of our minds because we must think. The only thing that's true in this life is the Word of God, the things He has revealed to us. So continuing on in this verse, whatever is true, next, whatever is honorable. This is kind of an archaic use word, but it means honorable or honest, This actually literally means whatever has the dignity of holiness upon it. Whatever has the dignity of holiness upon it. We as Christians should not be um, so absorbed with things that are are cheap and flippant and easy to get. Many times the things in Christian life are not the things you get on the front end, but they're the things that we work hard for, we pursue through sanctification that God's grants us. And so we should not just be able to... um, to be satisfied with cheap spiritual things. I'm not talking about physical things here. I'm just talking about cheap spiritual substitutes. So we're called to think on whatever is honorable or honest. Next is whatever is just. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Whatever is right, the Bible says. This word is dikios in the Greek, and it's actually translated the man who was dikios, the man who gives to God and men what is their due? So, this person is like a judge, and this guy is doing good works, and he's rewarded, and this person is doing bad, and he levels the playing field, and he doesn't promote one over the other. He gives everybody what is due them, including God. And so, we are called to think on whatever is right, whatever the things are of the Lord that please him. Continuing on in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, and whatever is pure. Whatever is pure. This word is hagnos. And this word was one of my favorite words to study this week because it doesn't just mean whatever is clean. It actually refers to the spiritual state of something something so clean it can be brought into the presence of God. And so as I was studying this for use of a ceremony, they would use this word hagnos. And if there was a bowl or utensil that needed to be brought in as a ceremony before God, this item would have to be considered hagnos and gone through certain rituals and cleansiness to bring it into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. And if it was not clean or if a person was not clean, they would be destroyed. That's how holy God is. It's not that they should be clean. It's that they must be clean to enter into the presence of God. Which is why when we're praying, or we're worshiping, or we have the Spirit living in us, it should, it should change radically our thinking that God has decided to dwell in me. Because we are not hagnos. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that he's came in and ceremonially cleansed us that we can now have the Holy Spirit living within me. And that's what he's called to. As I studied this, it reminded me of like a master surgeon. He's preparing for surgery, washing, he puts on gloves. And it's not that the utensils are going to be brought into the room that's supposed to be sterile and then cleaned. It's that they're cleaned outside of the room and then they're fit for surgery and then they're brought into the presence of that doctor. That is how our thinking should be. They're cleansed and they're brought into our mind because our thoughts should be so morally pure because God knows our thought life. And we should drive out the thoughts that are unclean. And God should be able to work through all of our thoughts. They should be fit for God. And that is a huge, huge responsibility and a burden that we're going to get to. Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. you don't need to turn there, but it says this, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, speaking of heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose name are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is why heaven doesn't open the doors to everybody, but only those who are hagnos, who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. As we continue going, whatever is pure, we're called to think on these things. Verse 8, the next word is whatever is lovely. Whatever is lovely. This word means whatever is in us that should call forth love. Calling forth love. When we're dealing with somebody, how many of you this week have dealt with somebody that's hard to love? Right? Okay. I see elbows and things like that. Hard to love. This word, our thinking, we should be thinking lovely or winsome thoughts, thoughts that call forth love to do action with people. And so our minds as Christians, we shouldn't be set on bitterness or hurts, but we should be set on kindness and sympathy, and bearing with one another, and those should be our thoughts. When we're dealing with this difficult person, I'm going to think on these type of thoughts, because that's what, as a Christian, I've commanded to do. We should be the most loving, compassionate people as followers of Christ. We should be the ones who go up and say, hey, I don't know if I offended you or not, but if I did, please let me know. Please, I I want to apologize, and I want to ask for forgiveness. I mean, those are those are words that we as Christians should be using all the time, because we fail often, and we need to recognize that, and we should be um, showing that that is a characteristic and a passion of us, is that we're not high up here, no, but we're broken, and we're saved by grace, and it's not, we have a lot we need to work on, so as we continue on, whatever is commendable, literally fair speaking, if you're sports fans. Whatever is in bounds. There's in bounds and out of bounds. So you can say time out, that's out of bounds. Do it in your thought mind, okay? These things are out of bounds, they're not in play. I gotta play in bounds. And so this word commendable says things which are fit for God to hear. It was actually a reference. They had pagan rituals, and this word commendable actually represented the holy silence before ritual. And this was to pagan gods. And Paul uses this word, that holy silence before ritual, that thinking of good things. We're supposed to have that type of thinking, commendable, things which are fit only for God to hear. I have a question for us as we're talking about thinking in our minds. And last week, Terry went through a lot of verses and all the things happen internally. We're called to pray, right? We're called to pray, but we're also called not to worry, not to have anxiousness. All of these things were internal, and Paul knew that because what we put in us is what comes out of us. Garbage in, garbage out. So if you're having issues with your thought life, I want to take a moment and I want to ask you, what are you putting in? What are you listening to daily, weekly? Because if you're listening to things that are not pure, that are not holy, that are not fit for God to hear, how are you going to expect your life flowing out of your thought life to look any different? And I know when I'm struggling with sin, I need to, I need to analyze why that is. Am I watching things I shouldn't be watching? Am I hearing things? The friends I'm hanging out with, are they putting good thoughts in my mind or bad thoughts? And so those are things garbage in, garbage out as we continue. It says, if there is anything excellent, Paul summarizes here in verse 8, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is the only time that Paul uses this Greek word in the entire New Testament. The only time, and it's the word RT and it seems that he deliberately avoided the use of this word. But it represents anything of superiority, anything that is excellence. So it could be um, describing the excellence of a quality of soil in a field. Maybe there's a hand tool that was created for intended purpose. And then that could um, kind of exemplify the qualities in that hand tool. And so he goes on to say, listen, whatever in your culture is good, think on those things. Even from their pagan background, he said, you knew kind of what good was? I'm telling you that Christian good is way above that. And so these good things you used to think were good should spur you on to better things in Christ. Um, One Bible theologian whose name is Lightfoot suggests that anyone with the word Paul calls in as an ally, all that was excellent in pagan background of his friends, it was as if he was saying, If the old pagan idea of excellence in which you were brought up has any influence over us, think of those things, that our past life at its highest point should spur us on to new heights in our Christian walk. So beginning in verse 9, now we're going to jump into verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard in me and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is now calling us to practice some things. And what I want us to see here is that Paul went from thinking and he gave us a list of eight things that were hard to grasp anyways, right? It's hard to think only on those things. And then in one sentence, he made a monumental shift to, by the way, now I want you to practice these things. Not only do I want you to think about these things, but anything you've seen in me, Anything you've heard me say, anything you've seen me do, or anything you've learned from me, by the way, do all of that. How did he just go from that in verse 8 to this in verse 9? These are two huge things. I mean, we could, we could focus all of our life trying to think on the right things, if we just took that one verse, or we could take just verse 9 and focus all of our life trying to do the right things. So how did Paul put these two things together, and he put them right beside each other in the Bible. It's because, and this is why we are um, so focused on going verse by verse, or verse by verse and book by book of the Bible, is because Paul didn't just give us verse 8 and verse 9. He gave us Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and he knew that verses 8 and 9 were linked together. They were married together, and you can't get the two away from one another. This leads us to our first point. I encourage you, if you're taking notes, to have already taken a lot of notes, but make sure you write this note down. Number one, godly thinking leads to godly living. Paul understood garbage in, garbage out. What we think on in verse 8 is going to drive our our thinking, and it's going to ultimately drive our actions in verse 9. That's how he could take verse 8 and immediately say, hey, by the way, anything you've seen in me, heard in me, you've learned from me, received from me, do those things. It's because our thinking leads to godly living. So adversely, worldly thinking leads to worldly living, right? So Paul knew that these two were so linked together. This is the third time in scripture, by the way, where Paul calls us to do as he's done. So he says, follow Christ, but then he goes on and says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that is a huge, that is a huge struggle. Uh, And it should be for all of us. Am I able to go up to somebody and say, come follow me? Are you able to say to your family or to your children, your spouse or your friend, just look at what I'm doing? Just look at what I'm doing and follow me. I, I heard an example, I think it was this week or maybe last week, and it was of a father. And they could say, does your dad do that? Like when the child has failed? Does your dad do that? Well, if your dad doesn't do that, don't do that. Do the things your dad does. If I do these things, do these things. And what a huge challenge and a call for us as Christians. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn one or two pages over. Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 through 18 says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So he's saying, if I'm rejoicing in these things, you should be rejoicing in these things. One page over, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says, brothers, join in imitating me. What a challenge to do. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. We see here in verse 9 that he calls us to practice these things. Practice makes perfect, right? And we're familiar with doctor's office or lawyers. And they have something that we commonly call a Practice. And it's called a practice because they have a normal routine of service that they do. I don't want to go to a doctor who doesn't have a practice that he's practiced in, right? I don't want to go to somebody who maybe they're in the office this week, and maybe they're not. Even, um, you know, my wife and I have been trying to get a hold of where I've had dental work done. We can't get a hold of them. And it's kind of causing us questioning like, well, should we even go there? We can't get a hold of them on the phone. And it's beginning to make us doubt their practice. And we as Christians should have our own practice that we are practiced in because we are working on glorifying God with our thought life and with our thinking, and that is our routine practice going, going forward. Here's a, um, a practical application for my life this week. I love sports. I'm very competitive for those who've ever played sports with me. Um, And apparently people don't think that a pastor can be competitive at things, but I am. And, um, you know, I hear some people where we're playing sport and then they're like, he's a pastor? (laughs) I don't know. I I do all things for the glory of God. I try to. Sometimes it's really for my own selfish pride. I acknowledge this. But this week, I actually, this is a good story. Many times I have stories of where I failed in God trying to do things, but this week, I was really trying to make sure I was focusing on having good godly thoughts. As I'm working through this, God's convicting me, I need to be thinking on godly things actively. And so I play on a volleyball league with actually a couple here in the church, and I was just thinking, all right, I need, I need to be the most encouraging person on the field because my thoughts should be godly thoughts. I should be bringing forth, calling forth love. I should be winsome in many of these people's minds and so when a play is made from our team that was a good play I want to be the loudest person on the court encouraging and loving on our teammates because I am a witness there for Jesus Christ there are some people not on our team or on our team who, who aren't followers of Christ that I know of and there are people on the other team and regardless if they know I'm a pastor or not I'm representing Jesus Christ I am a diplomat and so are you And I know, for for example, our United States, when we have a diplomat that we're sending to another country, they should be the most intellectual, well-educated, good representative. And I know that doesn't always happen, right? But for Jesus Christ, we're called to be that. And we are the representative here on that court or in that office or with that family or at the beach or wherever we are. We are his representative, his mouthpiece, his hands and feet. And so I want to be encouraging, for example, if I go up and I go to spike the ball and the other team blocks it and it immediately comes back down right beside me, it's like a moment of failure, right? And my immediate, my immediate response is not godly thoughts, it's natural thoughts, evil thoughts, right? I really want, I really have some words that could come to mind very easily if I think on those things often. Those words are going to come out. When you stub your toe, there's things that come out. And so, I can easily have that happen and, and not glorify God. But instead, what should I be doing? This was, I felt like I did a pretty good job of this, is good job. Same good job to the other team. Good block. Good block. And some of them are kind of like, why are you? <laughs> you should be angry, you know. Um, but we're supposed to be a good testimony For these things. And so examples all throughout our day. We can imply good thinking. And it will lead us to godly living. Continuing on. Point number two. We've seen that good thinking leads to good living. Continuing on. Point number two. Our godly living will lead to a peace of God. And we see this at the end of verse nine. It says, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a foundation that Paul has been building for us. You have godly thinking that you're putting in your mind and it's going to lead and it's going to drive you to godly living. And when you're doing those things, the God of peace is going to be in your life. So that when struggles come or situations or heartaches or temptations or trials, the God of peace is going to be there. Why? Because you're obedient. You're being obedient to him. And he's going to bless and work in your life through these things. So a question we should be asking ourselves now, and this is a fundamental question. Point number three is going to be the most important fundamental piece for all of this. If you don't get point number three, you can't do point number one. You can't think godly. And if you can't think godly, then you're not going to be able to live a godly lifestyle. And Paul gave us a huge command in verse 8 that we can't bear. I can't think godly. Natural thoughts without sinning. Because the Bible says my natural thoughts are evil. So how do I get good thoughts? Because what's naturally in me is not good. So how do I get that? And how do I want to do good things? Because my natural desire is not to do good things. It's to criticize. To complain. To not bring forth love, but to bring forth things that are going to serve me. So how do we transition our thinking? Point number three is godly reverence should lead us to godly thinking. Godly reverence leads to godly thinking. What I mean by this is that we must have a proper view of who God is. If we don't have a proper view of God and his holiness and us in our sinfulness, I'm not going to have good thinking. Why? Because I don't have a proper view of the God who told me what good thinking is. I don't understand His holiness and His righteousness, so I'm not going to understand my sinfulness. This is why Terry and I preach the way we do, and we try to come at some things very hard, and we try to be very dogmatic about our sin. We try to be very dogmatic about His grace, His perfection, His holiness. Because when we understand that we don't deserve any of the things He's done for us, We don't deserve to be able to praise His name. We don't deserve to be able to enter into prayer with Him. We don't deserve to be able to worship Him, let alone have eternity written on our hearts that we can know where we're going, that I can have peace in the midst of trials. I don't deserve any of those things. What I deserve, if God gave me justice, would be hell because of the sin in my life, the sin I've done. And I told our apologetics class this morning, I'm not motivated to serve him and evangelize because I'm fearful of hell. I should be loving and we should be loving God so much that even if at the end of our life we knew we were going to hell, that I'm still going to love and serve him today because there is nobody else who's worthy of our praise, our love, and our adoration. Once you have experienced Jesus Christ and he's came in and radically transformed you you're not going to live for yourself anymore. You're going to live for Him. And we have to have a proper understanding and a proper picture of who God is to have this. I want us to look in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, this is going to be a very important verse as we're finally, there's that word, concluding. We're saved by grace through faith. In our helplessness, God decided to send his son, which he didn't have to do. That while we were still enemies of God, that anyone who repented of their sin and trusted in him as their Lord and Savior, that they could be saved. If there's anyone in this room that has experienced that, it should sing heart praises to God when we're singing. If there's anyone who hasn't, I encourage you, Call upon the name of the Lord, return from your sins and run after him. We see that Jesus in John 6, we're going to be beginning in verse 60. He was just finished speaking to a lot of his disciples. And he shared with them some very tough things. And he said, you need to die to yourself. You need to die to your sins. And you need to trust and follow after me. And then this is what the reply was. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I want us to skip down to verse 66. It says, after this, many of his disciples, these are the people who have been following after Jesus Christ, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, his innermost closest ones, do you want to go away as well? It's the type of preaching that we should be hearing in churches because it's the type of preaching Jesus did. Do you want to go away as well? Show who you, who is your master today? Is it yourself, your wants and your desires? Or are you submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord? And listen to what Peter said. Peter has the right perspective. He understood who God is. And he had a godly reverence that I'm speaking about that's going to change godly thinking. It's going to change our behaviors. Listen to what Peter said. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter had a right perspective of God to where Peter could say, God, there is nobody else that I I can turn to. There's no one else. This is how we accomplish godly thinking. This is how we accomplish living out our faith Listen, if you're having an issue loving, if you're having an issue forgiving, if you're having an issue in a relationship, or or you don't love to do something that's godly, I can tell you why. It's because there is something fundamentally wrong in your view of God. When I have struggles, and I do, and I fail God, it's not because of my priorities or that I didn't have enough time set aside to get up and do my quiet time or I didn't do this or this got in the way. It's because I don't understand my proper place in his proper place. Because if I understood that, it would change my thinking and it would change my lifestyle and it would change everything in between. And so what we need to realize this morning, if we don't have that and you're recognizing that, Man, I am pretty lax in my faith. If that's what you're saying this morning, or you recognize that you probably don't have a perfect picture of who God is, or a perfect picture of your sinfulness, in just a moment we're going to take a time of reflection, and you need to do something about it. Many of us, and I've been there many times, where I was too prideful to be obedient to God. I didn't want to get on my knees before somebody else. I didn't want to spend time in prayer to say, God, I am broken and there is a lot in me that is not desiring you. But that's what God calls us to do. I want, to, I want us to look at one more passage before we go into a time of reflection where we need to be serious with God. And it's Isaiah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I, ter- I encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This is another passage that shows a right Picture of God, a reverence for God. Isaiah chapter 6, it says In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips. And then he goes on and says, My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We need to understand we are men and women of unclean lips. That we dwell in a perverse and wicked generation that deserves what we saw back in Genesis, a flood to wipe us out. When we understand God's goodness and His perfection, it's going to drive us to our knees It's going to drive us into worship. It's going to drive our thoughts to be so captivated by the things of God that we are actually going to live out the things of God in our life. And if those things are not being lived out in our life, it's because we have an issue with our thinking. If we have an issue with our thinking, it's because we don't see God for who he really is. So as we close, I encourage us in this next few minutes of reflection that you take some time And be serious. And if you're not where you need to be, the great thing is that God says all you need to do is call out to him. Spend time with him in prayer and just say, God, thank you for speaking to me this morning. God, change me. Mold me into who you want me to be. Put the desires in me. I can't do it alone. And he says when you call upon his name and you're turning from those things that he will work in you. So I encourage you, if you feel that you need to come up to the altar and get on your knees and on your face before him, or in the aisle, or you want to do it right in your seat, that you spend some time doing that. And after this time of reflection, we're going to go into a time of worship. Because when we see God for who he really is, and we've reflected on who we are, with him and without him, it should lead us, and it should drive us to worship. It's not going to be a matter of choice. Should I choose to do this or not? We're going to be so driven to the things of God, that it's not a choice anymore. It's not a choice. I'm running as if I was drowning. I'm clinging on to him. So let's take this moment for reflection.
0: I just encourage you to come and find them and just share their need, your need with them and be more than willing to talk with you and pray with you. We're going to end with a passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain And spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth emptiness. To whom will you compare me? What shall he be like, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out the host by number and calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might. Because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Amen. You guys are dismissed.